Chapter 5, Part 2 of How to Write Short Stories with Examples by Ring Lardner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. Chapter 5, Champion, Part 2. In New Orleans, five months after he had rearranged the map of Bud Cross for the third time, Midge finished training for his championship bout with the Dutchman. Back in his hotel after the final workout, Midge stopped to chat with some of the boys from up north, who had made the long trip to see a champion dethroned, for the result of this bout was so nearly a foregone conclusion that even the experts had guessed it. Tommy Haley secured the key and the mail and ascended to the Kelly suite, he was bathing when Midge came in, half an hour later. "'Any mail?' asked Midge. "'There, on the bed,' replied Tommy from the tub. Midge picked up the stack of letters and postcards and glanced them over. From the pile he sorted out three letters and laid them on the table. The rest he tossed into the waste basket. Then he picked up the three and sat for a few moments holding them, while his eyes gazed off into space. At length he looked again at the three unopened letters in his hand, then he put one in his pocket, tossed the other two at the basket. They missed their target and fell on the floor. Hell, said Mitch, and stooping over picked them up. He opened one postmarked Milwaukee and read, Dear husband, I have wrote to you so many times and got no answer, and I don't know if you have got them, so I'm writing again in the hopes that you will get this letter and answer. I don't like to bother you with my troubles, and I should not only for the baby, and I am not asking you should write to me, but only send a little money, and I am not asking for myself, but the baby has not been well a day since last August, and the doctor told me she can't live much longer unless I give her better food, and that's impossible the way things are. Lou has not been working for a year, and what I make don't hardly pay for the rent. I am not asking for you to give me any money, but only you should send what I loaned when convenient, and I think it amounts to about $36. Please try and send that amount, and it will help me, but if you can't send the whole amount, try and send something. Your wife, Emma. Midge tore the letter into a hundred pieces and scattered them over the floor. Money, 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 he said. They must think I'm made of money. I suppose the old woman's after it too. He opened his mother's letter. Dear Michael, Connie wanted me to write and say you must beat the Dutchman, and he's sure you will, and wanted me to say we want you to write and tell us about it. But I guess you haven't no time to write or we heard from you long before this, but I wish you would write just a line or two, boy, because it would be better for Connie than a bar of medicine. It would help me to keep things going if you send me money now and then when you can spare it, but if you can't send her money, try and find time to write a letter. Only a few lines, and it will please Connie. Just think, boy, he hasn't got out of bed in three years. Connie says good luck. Your mother, Ellen F. Kelly. I thought so, said Midge. They're all alike. The third letter was from New York. It read, Hun, this is the last letter you'll get from me before your champ but I will send you a telegram Saturday, but I can't say as much in a telegram as in a letter, and I am writing this to let you know I am thinking of you and praying for good luck. Lick him good, hun, and don't wait no longer than you have to, and don't forget to wire me as soon as it's over. Give him that little old left of yours on the nose, hun, and don't be afraid of spoiling his good looks, because it couldn't be no homelier than he is. But don't let him spoil my baby's pretty face. You won't, will you, hun? 
Well, hun, I would give anything to be there and see it, but I guess you love Haley better than me, or you wouldn't let him keep me away. But when you're champion, we can do as we please and tell Haley to go to the devil. Well, hun, I will send you a telegram Saturday, and I almost forgot to tell you, I will need some more money, a couple hundred, say, and you'll have to wire it to me as soon as you get this. You will, won't you, hun? I will send you a telegram Saturday, and remember, hun, I am pulling for you. Well, goodbye, sweetheart, and good luck. Grace. They're all alike, said Midge. Money, money, money. Tommy Haley, shining from his ablutions, came in from the adjoining room. I thought you'd be laying down, he said. I'm going to, said Midge, unbuttoning his orange shoes. I'll call you at six, and you can eat up here with no bugs to pester you. I got to go down and give them birds their tickets. Did you hear from Goldberg? asked Midge. Didn't I tell you? Sure, fifteen weeks at five hundred if we win, and we can get a guarantee of twelve thousand with privileges either in New York or Milwaukee. Who with? Anybody that will stand up in front of you. You don't care who it is, do you? Not me. I'll make them all look like a monkey. Well, you better lay down a while. Oh, say wire two hundred to Grace for me, will you? Right away, the New York address. Two hundred? You just sent her three hundred last Sunday. Well, what the hell do you care? All right, all right, don't get sore about it. Anything else? That's all, said Midge, and dropped onto the bed. And I want the deed done before I come back, said Grace as she rose from the table. You won't fall down on me, will you, hun? Leave it to me, said Midge, and don't spend no more time than you have to. Grace smiled a farewell and left the cafe. Midge continued to sip his coffee and read his paper. They were in Chicago, and they were in the middle of Midge's first week in Vaudeville. He had come straight north to reap the rewards of his glorious victory over the broken-down Dutchman. A fortnight had been spent in learning his act, which consisted of a gymnastic exhibition and a ten-minutes monologue on the various excellences of Midge Kelly, and now he was twice daily turning him away from the Madison Theatre. His breakfast over and his paper read, Midge sauntered into the lobby and asked for his key. He then beckoned to the bellboy, who had been hoping for that very honour. "'Find Ailey, Tommy Ailey,' said Midge. "'Tell him to come to my room.' "'Yes, sir, Mr Kelly,' said the boy, and proceeded to break all his former records for diligence. Midge was looking out of his seventh-storey window when Tommy answered the summons. "'What'll it be?' inquired his manager. There was a pause before Midge replied. "'Ailey,' he said. Twenty-five percent's a whole lot of money. I guess I got it coming, ain't I? said Tommy. I don't see how you figure it. I don't see where you're worth it to me. Well, said Tommy, I didn't expect nothing like this. I thought you were satisfied with the bargain. I didn't want to beat nobody out of nothing, but I don't see where you could have got anybody else that would have did all I'd done for you. Sure, that's all right, said the champion. You've done a lot for me and Philly, and you got good money for it, didn't you? I ain't making no holler. Still and all, the big money's still ahead of us yet, and if it hadn't been for me, you wouldn't have never got within grabbing distance. Oh, I guess I could have went along all right, said Midge. Who is it that hung that left on the Dutchman's jaw, me or you? Yes, but you wouldn't have been in the ring with the Dutchman if it wasn't for how I handled you. Well, this won't get us nowheres. The idea is that you ain't worth no 25% now, and it don't make no difference what come off a year or two ago. Don't it? 
said Tommy. I'd say it made a whole lot of difference. Well, I say it don't, and I guess that settles it. Look here, Mitch, Tommy said. I thought I was fair with you, but you don't think so. I'm willing to hear what you think is fair. I don't want nobody calling me a Sherlock. Let's get down to business and sign up a contract. What's your figure? I ain't naming no figure, Mitch replied. I'm saying that twenty-five's too much. Now what are you willing to take? How about twenty? Twenty's too much, said Kelly. What ain't too much? asked Tommy. Well, Haley, I might as well give it to you straight. There ain't nothing that ain't too much. You mean you don't want me at no figure? That's the idea. There was a minute's silence. Then Tommy Haley walked towards the door. Mitch, he said in a choking voice, you're making a big mistake, boy. You can't throw down your best friends and get away with it. That damn woman will ruin you. Mitch sprang from his seat. You shut your mouth, he stormed. Get out of here, before they have to carry you out. You've been sponging off of me long enough. Say one more word about that girl, or about anything else, and you'll get what the Dutchman's got. Now get out. And Tommy Haley, having a very vivid memory of the Dutchman's face as he fell, got out. Grace came in later, dropped her numerous bundles on the lounge, and perched herself on the arm of Midge's chair. Well, she said. Well, said Midge. I got rid of him. Good boy, said Grace, and now I think you might give me that twenty-five per cent. Besides the seventy-five you're already getting, said Midge. Don't be no grouch, hun. You don't look pretty when you're grouchy. It ain't my business to look pretty, Midge replied. Wait till you see how I look with the stuff I brought this morning. Midge glanced at the bundles on the lounge. There's Hurley's twenty-five per cent, he said, and then some. The champion did not remain long without a manager. Haley's successor was none other than Jerome Harris, who saw in Midge a better meal ticket than his popular-priced musical show had been. The contract, giving Mr Harris 25% of Midge's earnings, was signed in Detroit the week after Tommy Haley had heard his dismissal read. It had taken Midge just six days to learn that a popular actor cannot get on without the ministrations of a man who thinks, talks and means business. At first Grace objected to the new member of the firm, but when Mr Harris had demanded and secured from the Vaudeville's people a $100 increase in Midge's weekly stipend, she was convinced that the champion had acted for the best. "'You and my missus will have some great old times,' Harris told Grace. "'I'd have wired her to join us here, only I seen the kids booking take us to Milwaukee next week, and that's where she is.' But when they were introduced in the Milwaukee Hotel, Grace admitted to herself that her feeling for Mrs. Harris could hardly be called love at first sight. Midge, on the contrary, gave his new manager's wife the many times over, and seemed loath to end the feast of his eyes. "'Some doll,' he said to Grace when they were alone. "'Doll is right,' the lady replied, "'and sawdust where her brains ought to be.' "'I'm liable to steal that baby,' said Midge, and he smiled as he noted the effect of his words on his audience's face. On Tuesday of the Milwaukee week, the champion successfully defended his title in a bout that the newspapers never reported. Midge was alone in his room that morning when a visitor entered without knocking. The visitor was Lou Hirsch. Midge turned white at the sight of him. "'What do you want?' he demanded. "'I guess you know,' said Lou Hirsch. "'Your wife's starving to death, and your baby's starving to death, and I'm starving to death, and you're dirty with money.' "'Listen,' said Midge. 
If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't never have saw your sister. And if you ain't man enough to hold a job, what's that to me? The best thing you can do is keep away from me. You give me a piece of money and I'll go. Midge's reply to the ultimatum was a straight right to the brother-in-law's narrow chest. Take that home to your sister. And after Lou Hirsch had picked himself up and slunk away, Midge thought, it's lucky I didn't give him my left or I'd have croaked him and if I'd hit him in the stomach, I'd have broke his spine. There was a party after each evening performance during the Milwaukee engagement. The wine flowed freely, and Midge had more of it than Tommy Haley ever would have permitted him. Mr Harris offered no objection, which was possibly just as well for his own physical comfort. In the dancing between drinks, Midge had his new manager's wife for a partner as often as Grace. The latter's face as she floundered round in the arms of the portly Harris belied her frequent protestations that she was having the time of her life. Several times that week, Midge thought Grace was on the point of starting the quarrel he hoped to have, but it was not until Friday night that she accommodated. He and Mrs Harris had disappeared after the matinee, and when Grace saw him again at the close of the night show, she came to the point at once. "'What are you trying to pull off?' she demanded. "'It's none of your business, is it?' said Midge. "'You bet it's my business, mine and Harris's. "'You cut it short or you'll find out.' "'Listen,' said Midge. "'Have you got a mortgage on me or something? "'You talk like we was married.' "'We're going to be too, and tomorrow's as good a time as any.' "'Just about,' Midge said. "'You've got as much chance of marrying me tomorrow "'as the next day or next year, and that ain't no chance at all.' "'We'll find out,' said Grace.' You're the one that's got something to find out. What do you mean? I mean I'm married already. You lie. You think so, do you? Well, suppose you go to this here address and get acquainted with my missus. Midge scored a number on a piece of paper and handed it to her. She stared at it unseeingly. Well, said Midge, I ain't kidding you. You go there and ask for Mrs. Michael Kelly, and if you don't find her, I'll marry you tomorrow before breakfast. Still Grace stared at the scrap of paper. To Midge it seemed an age before she spoke again. You lied to me all this while. You never asked me if was I married. What's more, what the hell difference did it make to you? You got a split, didn't you? Better than fifty-fifty. He started away. Where are you going? I'm going to meet Harris and his wife. I'm going with you. You're not going to shake me now. Yes, I am too, said Midge quietly. When I leave town tomorrow night, you're going to stay here. If I see where you're going to make a fuss, I'll put you in a hospital where they'll keep you quiet. You can get your stuff tomorrow morning, and I'll slip you a hundred bucks, and then I don't want to see no more of you. And don't try and tag along now, or I'll have to add another KO to the old record. When Grace returned to the hotel that night, she discovered that Midge and the Harrises had moved to another. And when Midge left town the following night, he was again without a manager, and Mr Harris was without a wife. Three days prior to Midge Kelly's ten-round bout with young Milton in New York City, the sporting editor of The News assigned Joe Morgan to write two or three thousand words about the champion to run with a picture layout for Sunday. Joe Morgan dropped in at Midge's training quarters Friday afternoon. Midge, he learned, was doing road work, but Midge's manager, Wally Adams, stood ready and willing to supply reams of dope about the greatest fighter of the age. "'Let's hear what you've got,' said Joe, "'and then I'll try to fix up something.' 
so Wally stepped on the accelerator of his imagination and shot away. Just a kid, that's all he is, a regular boy. Get what I mean? Don't know the meaning of bad habits. Never tasted liquor in his life and would probably get sick if he smelled it. Clean living put him up where he's at. Get what I mean? And modest and unassuming as a schoolgirl. He's so quiet you wouldn't never know he was around, and he'd go to jail before he'll talk about himself. No job at all to get him in shape, because he's always that way. The only trouble we have with him is getting him to light into those poor bums they'll match him up with. He's scared he'll hurt somebody. Get what I mean? He's tickled to death over this match with Milton, because everybody says Milton can stand the gaff. Mitchell may be, be able to cut loose a little this time, but the last two bouts he had, the guys hadn't no business in the ring with him, and he was holding back all the while for the fear he'd kill somebody. Get what I mean? Is he married? inquired Joe. Say you'd think he was married to hear him brave about them kiddies he's got. His family's up in Canada to their summer home, and Midge is wild to get up there with him. He thinks more of that wife and them kiddies than all the money in the world. Get what I mean? How many children has he got? I don't know. Four or five, I guess. All boys and every one a dead rigger for their dad. Is his father living? No, the old man died when he was a kid. But he's got a grand old mother and a kid brother out in Shi. They're the first ones he thinks about after a match, them and his wife and kiddies. And he don't forget to send the old woman a thousand bucks after every bout. He's going to buy her a new home as soon as they pay him off for this match. How about his brother? Is he going to tackle the game? Sure, and Mitch says he'll be a champion before he's twenty years old. They're a fighting family, and all of them honest and straight as a die. Get what I mean? A fella, that I can't tell you his name, come to Mitch in Milwaukee, unked, and wanted him to throw a fight, and Mitch give him such a trimming on the street that he couldn't go on that night. That's the kind he is. Get what I mean? Joe Morgan hung around the camp until Mitch and his trainers returned. One of the boys from the news, said Wally, by way of introduction, I've been giving him your family's history. Did he give you the good dope? he inquired. He's some historian, said Joe. Don't call me no names, said Wally, smiling. Call us up if there's anything more you want, and keep your eyes on us Monday night. Get what I mean? The story in Sunday's news was read by thousands of lovers of the manly art. It was well written and full of human interest. Its slight inaccuracies went unchallenged, though three readers, besides Wally Adams and Midge Kelly, saw and recognised them. The three were Grace, Tommy Haley and Jerome Harris, and the comments they made were not for publication. Neither the Mrs Kelly in Chicago nor the Mrs Kelly in Milwaukee knew that there was such a paper as the New York News, and even if they had known of it, and that it contained two columns of reading matter about Midge, neither mother nor wife could have bought it, for the news on Sunday is a Nicola copy. Joe Morgan could have written more accurately, no doubt, if instead of Wally Adams he had interviewed Ellen Kelly and Connie Kelly and Emma Kelly and Lou Hirsch and Grace and Jerome Harris and Tommy Haley and Hap Collins and two or three Milwaukee bartenders. But a story built on their evidence would never have passed the sporting editor. Suppose you can prove it, that gentleman would have said. It wouldn't get us anything but abuse to print it. The people don't want to see him knocked. He's a champion. End of chapter 5, part 2, Champion.